Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 17. John 17. This, this evening, we begin looking into the Lord Jesus Christ's longest recorded prayer to his Father. It's often called the high priestly prayer, or his high priestly prayer. Because he prays for his 11 apostles, and then he also prays for all of those who will believe through those apostles. But it's also called the Lord's Prayer. And that, the reason for that is, what we have in Matthew chapter 6 is the model prayer. The disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them this model prayer. But he never prayed this prayer. Uh, he couldn't have prayed this prayer. Because it said, forgive us our sins. And he never sinned. So this is their prayer. But tonight, this is the Lord's prayer. And the Lord Jesus reveals his heart to us in this prayer. Uh, he's only a few hours from crucifixion. And yet... His burning desire is that his father be glorified. And his burning desire is that his disciples would find sweet security by their faith in him and in the father. And even though the hideous horror of, of the cross is looming, this is a confident, triumphant prayer. This is in contrast to Gethsemane. Nothing changes between here and Gethsemane. But he knows that all of his father's plan to save all of those that the father had given him through his sacrifice for them will be fully realized. Look there at verse 33 of chapter 6. I have overcome the world. Everything the world has thrown at me, everything Satan has thrown at me to discourage me, <clears throat> to tempt me to not go to the cross, to tempt me to either just go back to heaven and escape or to establish myself through my power here and leave all mankind lost and doomed but save myself. All those temptations, I have overcome them. His heart is set. Remember, uh, one of the synoptics says his heart was fixed, his face was fixed like a flint to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross. He's made the decision. He's going to do this. He will go to the cross. He will endure all the Father's wrath for our sins. He will drain the cup dry. He will be able to scream out at the very end, it is finished. A mission accomplished. Now chapter 17, this prayer has three divisions. The first division is verses 1 through 5, which is what we look at this evening. That Jesus prays for himself to glorify the Father. He prays for himself, but it's so that he might glorify the Father. Then in verses 6 through 19, he prays for the 11 apostles. And then in verses 20 through 26, he prays for all who will believe in him through their work forever. 
And that's been 2,000 years of people believing in the Lord Jesus Christ because of what the apostles have written for us. Now I want to read the whole chapter and then we'll come back and look at the first section. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father... Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The name which you have given me. That they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me. And I guarded them and not one of them perished but the son of perdition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sake I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, 
I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me and have made And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. It's going to take us a while to get through all that. I mean, that's not 2% milk, that's eggnog. (laughs) Now let's look at Jesus' prayer for him to glorify the Father. Back in 17 verse 1. Jesus spoke these things. That's all of chapter 16. And especially 16.33 where he says, I have overcome the world. Then he begins praying this way. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. The hour has come. That is... Everything that I came to earth to do, the purpose for which I came to earth, the goal for which I came to earth, that's been waiting and looming and out there, that is my crucifixion, my sacrifice, that I'm going to bear, I'm going to drink in all of the wrath that my people deserve, that your people deserve. So that I might buy them for you and set them free and make them holy for you. So that I might save them for us. The enemies tried to cut me off from this hour. Uh, Several times the religious leaders have tried to kill me before this hour. But every time as it says in John his hour had not yet come. Well now it has come. In just a few hours he'll be dead. And he says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Glorify. That word is like art. It's really hard to to define it, but you know it when you see it. Glorify. It has two aspects. And we'll look at these two aspects this evening. Uh, in these few verses in their context here glory or glorify it means weight heaviness worthiness for instance a gold platter is heavier than and worth a lot more than a wooden platter so that's where you get the idea that heaviness equals worthiness So to glorify means to reveal to the world someone's worthiness, to honor, to be praised, to be trusted explicitly, their worthiness to be obeyed as well. And the Lord Jesus Christ prays, glorify your son. Reveal to the world who your son really is. God Almighty become human. As Bob said this morning, Yahweh the Son become human. Why? 
Why does the Lord Jesus Christ ask his Father to glorify him? To reveal to the world who he, the Lord Jesus Christ, really is. And so that the Son may glorify you. Mm -hmm. See, that's the purpose he's asking to be glorified. Is that he might glorify his Father. That he might reveal to the world who his Father really is. In all his excellencies. And this is where I, I can't resist the temptation. But it's just with some. That is, his eternality, his self-existence. He's self-sufficient. He's self-satisfied. He's utterly righteous. He's utterly holy. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. He's sovereign in everything over all of his creation. That's who the Father is. And the Son wants the world to know this. The Son wants to glorify the Father in this way. But he's also more than that. He's slow to anger. He's compassionate. He's merciful to all who call on him. He's gracious. He gives us what we don't deserve. He's utterly, thoroughly, absolutely good. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ wants to reveal to the world about his Father. Now, how will the Father glorify the Son? Remember, he said, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. The Father is going to glorify his Son by exhausting all of his wrath that all of those that he has given to his Son deserve. He's going to exhaust it on his Son. And then he's going to raise him up from the dead, undecayed in any way, so that his son might display himself alive to over 500 witnesses during a 40-day period while he's walking around here on earth raised from the dead. And then those 500 witnesses, especially the apostles, are going to spread the news that this man Jesus is who he says he is. This man Jesus has paid for all the sins of all of those who will trust in him as their Lord, as their master, as God's savior from their sins. They will glorify the son. They will confess, as Revelation chapter 5 says, that he is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. They will honor him as they honor the Father, even as Jesus said that was the Father's will in John 5, 23. That all men should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Everyone who hears this good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who hears this sweet invitation that come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest all of those who will take him up on that, who will believe in him, who will entrust themselves to him will glorify him. They will glorify him by revealing to others who this Jesus is. They will praise him they will listen to him. They will trust him. They will obey him. They will worship him. So how will the son glorify the father? By fulfilling the father's eternal love for his elect. And by saving them from his wrath. The Lord Jesus Christ will save all those the Father has chosen for himself and has given to his Son.
He will save them. He won't make their salvation possible. He will save them. And then he will declare that this was his father's will from the beginning in spite of our defiant sinfulness and our blasphemous contempt that we had for God before he saved us. Now he's already been declaring this about his father, about his father's amazing grace. He's been declaring that to sinners even before he goes to the cross. John 3.16. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. When he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those are Jesus' words. And then one of my favorites, John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40. I have not come down from heaven to do my own will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me, his father. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of my Father who has sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the Father's doing. This is the Father's love. This is the Father's choosing. And the Lord Jesus Christ will glorify his Father by making this plain to everyone. And all who are converted by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will praise the Father and honor the Father and love the Father and marvel at the Father. That's how the Son will glorify the Father. Now look at verse 2. In verse 2 he clarifies what I just said. When he says that the Son may glorify you, even as, just as, you gave him authority over all flesh, over all humanity. To do what? What's this authority for? That to all you have given him, he may give eternal life. That's how I'm going to glorify you, Father. Mm. I'm going to say this about another verse later. We, in our bulletin, we say that this is, we have Christ-centered worship. Our church is a Christ-centered church. And this is a father-centered verse right here. Moving on. In verse 3, he defines that eternal life he was talking about. It's not merely endless existence. All human beings have endless existence. Nobody actually dies. We die in the flesh from this life. And we awaken in the spirit somewhere else and we after the resurrection every human being that's ever been born will be rejoined to a body either a glorified body to enjoy Christ forever and the father forever with them or a condemned body to suffer the torments of as you say Matt a lake of burning sulfur forever and ever Even the condemned in hell have endless existence. No, eternal life is the quality of that endless life. And Jesus says it here. It's so that they may know the only true God. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Say what? That's eternal life. That's how you enter into it. 
That's also what it is. To know God, to know the Father as He is. To know Him. To have intimate fellowship with Him. Closeness with Him. You know that in in Genesis, we're told that Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore him a son. Named him Cain. That's not, you know, Cain wasn't born because Adam said, oh, that's Eve over there. That he recognized Eve. No, we know what, what it means there. To have that kind of intimate communication, that kind of intimate fellowship, that's what it means to know God as he truly is. <sighs> that he is the epitome of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. That's God. To know him as he is and to delight in him forever. That's eternal life. That in eternal life we're sinless. That's part of what it means to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're sinless. We have no regrets in eternal life. There's no shame in eternal life. There's nothing to hinder our sweet open fellowship with God the Father. It's better than Eden before Adam and Eve fell. It's better than that. That, They had conditional life. We will have eternal life. It's to be forever conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forever conformed. To be like him in his perfect humanity. With the same heart that he has for the Father and for us. We'll have that heart for the Father and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. What does it mean to know the Lord Jesus Christ? It means to be joined to him by faith. To be united to him. To learn him. To be in union with him. That means in eternal life, we are unsinable. My uh, word processor blue-lined that one. (laughs) That's not a word. But it means incapable of sin. Can you imagine that? Incapable of sin. We will be untemptable. I've said before that if my favorite lust was able somehow to slither under the gate of heaven and find me in heaven. The thing that I have the most difficulty with now in my flesh, in my indwelling sin, I would look at it as nothing but utterly putrid and contemptible and I would despise it. That's what it means to be conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have eternal life. Mm. And just like the Lord Jesus Christ, to always be delighting to do the Father's will. I mean, you do know we will have work in heaven. I hope you understand that. At some time, we may have a lesson on that. But we will have work to do in heaven. We will be accomplishing things in heaven. Um, If you want a little bit, uh, the cheater or the spoiler alert is Derek Thomas in one of his sermons talks about Jesus' parable of the king and the slaves and he gave each of his slaves a certain amount of resources to work with and when he came back he evaluated them and he said 
well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over ten cities. So that's not just a nice story. That's what we're to look forward to. We will have things to accomplish for the Lord in heaven. And we will do it with Jesus' own mind, with his own heart, with his own spirit. We will be just like him in his perfect humanity. We will always be delighting to do the Father's will in eternal life. It is endless fulfillment to finally have it realized that we have become what God created us to be. What we long to be. And that will end up in endless joy. Then he says in verse 4. I glorified you on the earth. Having finished the work which you have given me to do. That's how I glorified you. Was by finishing the work you have given me to do. I glorified you on the earth. Now remember what does it mean here in this context. For the Son to glorify the Father. It means to reveal his worthiness. To reveal him as he is. So that men might praise him and honor him and worship him and trust him and on and on and on. And Go back to John chapter 14. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, this is why Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all so long, and have you not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak for myself, but the Father abiding, dwelling in me, does his works. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I have glorified you. I have revealed you. When they heard me teaching, they were hearing you teaching. That's what he just said. When they watched me all day long and into the evening, just living, just walking, just talking, just living life, they were seeing you. They were seeing you. When I performed my miracles, it was you doing the miracles. Yeah. When I freely forgave sinners, they saw you freely forgiving those who will trust in me. That part of my work is finished. I have glorified you. I have revealed you on earth in the world. Now, redeeming those that you gave me, suffering their judgment, that's as good as finished. Remember, with God, there is no time because whatever he determines to do is as good as done. And he says, their redemption is as good as finished. I have overcome the world. I have glorified you. I want refuse the cross I will satisfy your wrath to free and to save your elect I have glorified you on the earth then look at verse 5 now father 
Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. In other words, I have to look at it like this when he says, Now, Father, considering what I just said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Considering that, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Remember I said at the beginning that this oily concept, this slippery concept called glory or glorifying has two aspects. One aspect is heaviness, weightiness, worthiness. Well, here's the other aspect in this context of this verse. And that's brilliance and splendor. This is what we normally think of when we think of the word glory. Here Jesus is referring to the brilliant radiance he shared with the Father before the world was. This is another hint of the Trinity. And notice, this is another Father-centered verse as well. Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The standard is the Father. Jesus is wanting to go back to what he had with the Father. Now, like I said, this brilliance, this radiance is normally what we think of when we think of God's glory. Uh, 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. What we would call the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. That brilliant, overpowering light that filled the tabernacle after it was completed so that Moses couldn't stay in the tabernacle courtyard. He had to leave. It was unbearably brilliant. Same thing happened in the temple. Solomon finishes building the temple. All the people are gathered together out there. The priests are standing there in the temple. And the glory of God fell down in the temple and his brilliance, his radiance so filled the temple that the priests couldn't do anything. They couldn't offer sacrifice they couldn't praise, they couldn't do anything else they were just overwhelmed by the brilliance of God's Shekinah this is the visible effect of his holiness I personally believe and, and if I'm ever corrected on this I'll accept the correction that's why one of the reasons why the the high priest once a year had to go into the Holy of Holies with incense. Stick the incense sensor in ahead of you to fill the room with incense. That way it would protect you from the Shekinah of the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, God dwells in unapproachable light. God the Son shared this unapproachable light, this Shekinah, with his Father from eternity. He says right here, Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Mm. The glory I had with you. It's not the usual word for with. This is pra, or pro, but pra. It means face to face. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, face to face with God. Here's another hint of the Trinity. This oneness of essence, distinction in persons, but oneness of essence, oneness of the 
glory of God, this attribute, this, this glory, this God's prerogative alone, that he alone possesses. Of course, Satan tries to counterfeit it. He tries to show up every now and then as an angel of light, especially in deluded people's visions and dreams, and maybe even in some personal encounters. But this is God's prerogative. But the Lord Jesus Christ had left this unapproachable life behind in heaven. When, before he became the Lord Jesus Christ, he was God the Son, the eternal Son, the eternal Yahweh the Son, who had that unapproachable light, sharing that unapproachable light with his Father. And when he was born as a human, as the human with the name Jesus, he had to leave that unapproachable light behind. I mean, come on folks, that's not hard to figure out. How do you minister when nobody can come to you? How, I mean, oh well, it's, it's so ridiculous. We, you know, He had to leave it behind. And he's asking the Father here to restore to him again what he left behind when he ascends back to heaven. But get this. How does the Lord Jesus ascend back to heaven? As man, as resurrected human. And for the first time ever, the Shekinah is going to radiate out from a man. And that's how we're going to see him when we're joined with him in heaven. And as the Son of Man... He will recognize, or not recognize, he will welcome us as sons of men and daughters of men into what formerly had been unapproachable light. And we will share in his glory. We'll see that later down here. Hmm. Verse 24. I know that's later on but verse 24 Father I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me we never could Moses couldn't minister in the temple I mean in the tabernacle because of the Shekinah the priest couldn't minister in the temple because of the Shekinah when Moses had, would come from his tent, his, the meeting place, outside the camp after the children of Israel had sinned, and God would meet with him, Yahweh would meet with him at Moses' tent outside the camp and speak to him face to face. Moses would come back to the people to tell them what God had said, and his face was radiant. And it terrified them. And they said, and they, they run from him. And Moses didn't realize his face was shining. And they had to tell him. And then he covered his face with a veil. I'm not saying that we are going to shine. But the scriptures does say we will shine like the sun in heaven. But this is not about us. This is about him. And when he allows us into that formerly unapproachable light. We will marvel at him. 
will marvel at the glory of his splendor. And millions of every tribe and tongue and nation and people will sing out again. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We will see him as he is and we will shout and we will clap our hands and we will scream out. He is vindicated. Vindicated. This is who suffered his father's wrath for us so that we'll never know any of that wrath. This is who prepared a place for us in his father's house. This is who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is who has given us eternal life and will never cast us out. This is our savior. This is our king. This is our God. Hallelujah. What a savior. Sit. Sing with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed. <laughs>